So what does the future hold for you now? Uh, one of the things that's slowly emerging from uh, this pandemic as it goes on and on is the realization, I think for lots of us, that the future isn't secure, at least not the way that we thought. The things that we took for granted before, uh, suddenly they're not as solid anymore. You know, we thought to ourselves, you know, if I work hard, you know, there'll be a job for me. Maybe not. Uh, if I stay fit, you know, like my health will be fine. Maybe not. Uh, if I want to travel down the track, I'll travel. I'll, I'll see the world. Maybe not. Those things uh, just aren't certain anymore. There might not be jobs. Uh, a tiny virus could take me down. And for me personally, maybe I will never actually see New York in the flesh like I always wanted. What does the future hold for you now? This is, as uh, Ez kind of alluded to, this is actually the third time uh, that we've tried to tackle Daniel chapter 7 and 8. Uh, the first time was last year. Uh, the date we were going to preach it was the 22nd of March, and that will ring a bell for you, as exactly the time when COVID hit and church got shut down and we got uh, kicked off campus and uh, everything kind of went crazy. Uh, we changed sermon series, had to go online, and uh, we finally kind of gotten everything back together uh, finally got all the way back to last week. We were ready to preach Daniel 7 and 8 again and uh, boom, foiled again, back to lockdown. Uh, if the internet drops out tonight, uh, you'll know that God really is sending us a strong message uh, not to listen into this. No, I think he is sending us a message. Uh, Daniel 7 is, it's not any old passage. It's a passage about the future. It's about uh, what's coming, not for us, uh, but for Daniel and for God's people, Israel. So that's our plan for tonight. We are, even though we've been uh, locked down and missed a week, we're going to tackle Daniel 7 and 8 and see these apocalyptic visions uh, written in this vivid uh, kind of picture language style. Uh, we're going to see uh, what God wants to tell his people about their future. So to get into it, first we need to remind ourselves of the situation here. Daniel uh, isn't living in Israel uh, with God's people. He's living in Babylon. They've been defeated. God's people have been uh, conquered by Babylon. Uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed and they've been carted off uh, to live in this pagan land. And it's into that situation that God uh, sends Daniel these visions, uh, these pictures of the future. Uh, so what does it tell them about the future? What does the future hold for them now? Uh, well, we're going to see three things and work through them uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to see that their future holds a world of beasts, people who get trampled, and a revolution. Beasts, people getting trampled, and a revolution. The first thing that these visions tell Daniel is to expect a world of beasts. Uh, chapter 7 launches with these vicious beasts rising out of the sea. It's got this real Godzilla vibe to it. You know, the sea was this place of evil and chaos and out they come, kind of Pacific Rim style, if you've seen that movie. Uh, but verse 17 actually explains it for us, kind of spells it right out. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. Uh, one or a lion with the wings of an eagle. 
a bear with ribs between its teeth, a leopard with wings and four heads. They're, they're kings that will rise up and, and conquer the world. And we could drill down into kind of everything that those pictures mean and the imagery of it. Um, but I think it's enough for us to just to feel the terror that these, these are going to be awful leaders, arrogant, powerful, violent, stretching out everywhere. And then a fourth beast, different from the others, in some ways far, far worse, a world of beasts. That's what God's people should expect from the world leaders to come. And you don't have to look very far in our age to see exactly the same thing. Uh, in 1932, Joseph Stalin demanded grain quotas uh, from Ukraine, um, quotas that were larger than the actual crop. Uh, the demand was enforced ruthlessly, ruthlessly, and at least 5 million, maybe 7 million peasants died. They simply starved to death. It's appalling, isn't it? Isn't, isn't this what's being described here? Uh, as Daniel sees these visions, it says he's deeply troubled, he's appalled and exhausted by what he sees. This is the world that is happening around us. It's natural to be horrified at this. And part of what God wants to teach us from Daniel 7 and 8 is to see the reality of this. Because it's not just in Daniel's time. I turn to the New Testament and Revelation uses the same kind of picture language, the same idea of these beasts we read in chapter 13. A beast rises from the sea, part leopard, part bear, part lion. That's the same thing. In Daniel's time, in the first century, under Rome, but similarly, beasts in our time too. Isis rises and another beast emerges. And what should we expect from a world of beasts except that people get trampled? That's the second thing to expect. First thing to expect, a world of beasts. Secondly, uh, that people will get trampled and especially God's people will be trampled. Um, the, that's kind of especially what happens in chapter 8. We didn't get to read it, but as as chapter 8 zooms in on this, uh, another king, uh, the vision kind of zeroes in on one particular king. Uh, most of the scholars think that it's a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, in many ways, in the sweep of history, he was just a nobody, right? He was just another one of the guys who came after Alexander the Great. Um, but Daniel focuses this vision, this whole chapter on him because he has this devastating impact on God's people. Uh, Antiochus desecrates the temple. He kills tens of thousands of Israelites. And once a month, he sends soldiers around to check every house. And if they find a Torah or if they find a circumcised child, uh, they're put to death. Or as chapter 8 puts it, uh, the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. God's people get trampled underfoot by these beasts. It's the kind of thing that's happening right now in our world in lots of places that I'm sure you can think of. It's happening in China as pastors are being arrested and churches shut down. But apocalyptic writing uh, here in Daniel 7 and 8, it has this encouragement built into it. 
Uh, even as it describes this oppression, this, this trampling, uh, it reminds God's people that God is in control. Uh, you see it in the timing. Chapter 8, verse 13, asks the question, how long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? Uh, and then verse 14, he said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be re-consecrated. Now, you can spend a lot of time uh, trying to hone in to find the exact timing of that and how many years and, and when that's all going to happen. Um, but I, I think that's not the point of, of that number. The point is that it's a long time, but it's not forever. It's a fixed time. It's limited. It's a time period that God knows and he's in control of. They'll need to hold on, but, but it is a limited time. And notice the question that gets asked. The question isn't why. Why is this happening? The question is how long? How long do, do we have to go through this? And that really, I think, is the right question to ask. Because to ask why, uh, why can be, if our heart is in the wrong place, why can be a way of questioning God? Saying, why is this happening? God, you don't know what you're doing. But how long is different, isn't it? Isn't how long different? To ask how long is to recognise that God is in control to recognise that this is to be expected and, and to ask from God, to say, God, you said this would happen and I know you're sovereign over it and I know you're going to bring it to an end, but God, how long? How long? That's okay to ask why. The, the Psalms ask that question, why? Why is there this unjust suffering? But how long is the question that is unique to the believer? How long, says God, you're in control, but how long? Next time you are in that point of, of suffering and asking that question, why, why, God? Try to, try to convert that into the question, how long? How long, God? What does the future hold for Daniel? Firstly, a world of beasts. Uh, secondly, God's people getting trampled. But finally, a revolution. A revolution is... A forcible over, overthrow of a government or social order in favour of a new system. And that is exactly what's described here. I pick it up halfway through verse 8, uh, back in chapter 7, uh, describing these beasts. And then there's this horn. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being. A horn is like a symbol of power. So this is another king. And it had the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked... Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. See, a revolution is coming. Uh, in this uh, vision, the, the beasts rage, and this little horn comes up, and it has eyes like the eyes of a human. It's kind of like this sick parody of, of real power. And he speaks boastfully. This arrogant pretender comes. But here's the real king. The Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days uh, sounds like this weird religious term for God, but it really just means he's old, right? It just means he's got a lot of days, infinitely many days. He is the real power, the old one, the one that's always been, and he takes his seat and he is white as snow, pure and holy. 
and he is flaming with fire, full of righteous judgment. And he will bring these beasts down. He will call them to account. The court is seated and the books are opened and the true king has arrived to deal with the beasts. It's a revolution. Uh, not a revolution like if you think about revolutions, you know, like the French Revolution with the, the people kind of rising up and overthrowing this aristocracy. It's more like the revolution of the Lord of the Rings where the true king of men comes back and, and retakes his rightful throne. Have a look there at verse 11. See how the Ancient of Days deals with this beast. Uh, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. I notice three things here. Notice the reversal. Uh, here's where you really see the revolution in action. Verse 27, if you see, uh, bring your eyes down. Uh, he says, And then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven, that's after these beasts have been destroyed, all of this stuff will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. God's people go from being trampled to being rulers. That they go from being the ones who are ground underfoot to sitting on the four thrones of Care Parabell, if you know the Narnia story. They rule under God, this complete reversal of where they're at now. That's the first thing to notice. Notice also the timing of this kingdom. Uh, the, the, the timing of the beast is always limited to, to these number of days and times. Uh, but notice verse 18. The holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom. They'll rule and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Over and over, this kingdom is forever. The beast rule for a time, uh, but God's kingdom lasts. God's people cry out, how long? And God's answer is always hardly any time at all compared to what's to come. That's the second thing to notice, uh, the timing. Thirdly, uh, notice how this vision points forward to the Lord Jesus. Have a look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly what Jesus says to Pilate at his trial. Pilate questions him and he says, you'll see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He's, he's referring back to exactly this prophecy here in Daniel. Jesus is saying, I am this promised ruler, this son of man who will come. A human ruler in contrast to, to the evil beasts uh, that are being uh, shown here. He comes from God's presence with all the authority and power and, and his kingdom is an eternal kingdom that he's going to establish and all nations will come and worship him just like it says here in Daniel 7. Uh, Jesus is the one who comes and establishes this kingdom. That's the vision uh, that God gives to Daniel in uh, chapter 7 and 8. He shows him a world of beasts, people getting trampled, but then this revolution, the coming of God's kingdom, God's people reigning under this son of man. 
how do we pull this all together uh, for us? I think the, the, the kind of the meaning is really in why God is telling this to Daniel. Why is he telling him about what's to come? Well, I think it's for his comfort, for his comfort. He's giving uh, Daniel this insight, kind of opening uh, the, the curtains uh, to, to what's ha- going to happen in the future so that they know what to expect, so that they know what the end is, and so they can endure, so they can be comforted now, knowing that their God is the God who holds all of the future in his hand. He tells it to Daniel for his comfort. And I really want that to be the application for us tonight, comfort. See, what does the future hold for you? What does the future hold for you now, uh, given the state of our world as it is now? Pandemics? Yeah, probably. You're going to have some of them. Recessions? Yes. Uh, Things are uncertain. And, yes, we should expect beasts. Uh, part of what this passage is telling us is that there, there will be hostility and persecution for God's people. If not directly for us, then certainly for our brothers and sisters around the world. We need to be prayerful, uh, to be attentive to how we can help support them. We're going to live in a world of beasts. The future won't be smooth. But the Son of Man has come. Hasn't he? The Son of Man has come and has uh, started this revolution as people come to him as the king. And one day he will return as the judge and he will deal with the beasts. He will judge them with a righteous judgment and he will throw them into the blazing fire and we will reign with him. Revelation 13, we, we just read that small chunk and it, it finishes by asking the question, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against him? Well, the answer is there. It's the Son of Man, isn't it? Jesus can wage war against the beasts. He can deal with those who would oppress God's people and bring them to justice and judgment. So what does the future hold for you? Well, ultimately, it holds joyful rule under King Jesus. Joyful rule under King Jesus for eternity and eternity with him. Uh, Here's how uh, one author puts it. We know the Son of Man, who is at the same time the head and shepherd of the fellowship. The shepherd sees the lion coming and the bear and the leopard and the fourth beast and does not flee.